Hey, Will. We missed you last week when we didn't have a podcast. I missed you too, Ian. Is that true? Yeah, of course. I always miss you. Oh, that's nice. That's so happy it's to really hear really frustrating. That. Like, I have to buy more ammo. Boo. Get it? Boo. <laughs> For like a slingshot or You'll something. You'll never hit like me with your Nerf darts. Yeah. Well, actually, my office is full of Nerf darts, and uh, we have little Nerf guns issue each other all the time. Mainly, I'm the target. I get shot at a lot. That makes sense. It makes sense because you're always probably saying things like, here's a question. Yeah, it's true. It's true. This might be inappropriate. Or slurping your hot cereal. This might be inappropriate, but do you want to hear a really Uh-oh. fun etymological connection I learned recently? Am I going to have to cut it out of the podcast? I don't think so. It's not like it's not like profane. It's just a little sophomoric, maybe. You're such a dweeb. Okay. Yep. Let's hear it. All right. So Let's go. Did you know, and it'll make sense once you hear it, but did you know that Sphinx shares an etymological root with sphincter? Well, that doesn't surprise me. That's not that inappropriate. But no, it's not. Just I know, it's just a little of the most work. common way we refer to sphincter. But it also yeah, exactly. has to do with any stuff sack in camping. It's true. It's true. Or like you know, yeah. There's there's multiple sphincters in your body. Anyway, anyway, the the fun bit is where the connection comes from, because it's not obvious to me why a sphinx and a sphincter would have the same meaning at some point. Yeah. Any any ideas, Ian? Where the the shared, yeah, thing. it's more obvious and almost funnier when you learn what why the Sphinx is called the Sphinx and what Sphinx meant in Greek at the time. Well, I don't have a chance of guessing that. I know, neither would I. All right, I'm, gonna, All right, I'm just, just going to tell what, you. It's so funny. Yep. So go the, for it. what the, you got? The Sphinx was the name of the animal, and it meant something. It meant the strangler. Which I think makes sphincter make a lot oh. of sense, and also is very, very funny to me. Oh my gosh. Because apparently, I think it's like sphingane. I don't speak Greek, or I didn't take any Greek classes either. Sphingarius. All right, all right, all right. Um, but I think sphingane meant, I think, uh, like to pinch or to... Um, um, constrict. Constrict, yeah. So I just thought this was pretty funny. Uh, I told one people in my office, they thought it was uh, funny, but also Sophomoric. like... Sophomoric, yeah. And so then, uh, so I, my advisor is very similar to me in a lot of ways. We have a lot of things in common. Not everything. We're both in the same choir, though, and all that kind of stuff. He also likes etymology. And I was like, I'm going to go tell my advisor about this. Oh, no. And, and my room, and, and no, my office mates were like, oh, come on, man. He's not going to like that. And I was like, trust me, he'll love it. So I went down to tell him, and I told him. And you know what his first thing he said after learning that was? What? So you could call it the Boa Sphincter? Oh my god! And, and and me and him had a great laugh, and it was great. So, just so you know, I did find my people here in Maine. You're you people are a bunch of nerds over there. <laughs> I know it's so funny. <laughs> yeah, it cracks me up. Anyway, welcome folks to the etymology podcast. Yeah, just kidding. That's the a different illusionist. One. Great podcast. That's Will's other podcast, which you can check out. Nope i I am not the host of the Illusionist, but it is a great podcast about words. Oh, that's a real podcast? Yeah, it's funny. You interrupted my whole intro. I was in the zone. I was going to do the intro, and you interrupted, oh, sorry. You interrupted it with a different podcast. You guys should listen to it. The Illusionist Where's is Where's your excellent. loyalty? Maybe they'll shout out to us now. Yeah, exactly. It's like a, yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's mutually beneficial, trust me. Mm-hmm. Symbiotic. But just kidding. This isn't the Etymology Podcast. It's Reference Frames Podcast, the podcast where we talk about physics, we talk about movies, and we combine the two to make them... 
physics education movies. We take good movies and we make them bad by teaching you how to learn with them. Yeehaw. That's what we do. We actually make them better because they'll improve your understanding of the movie. Yeah. My name is Ian. I'm the co-host. I'm co-host A. I am the uh, witty showrunner. The the handsome man with the fresh haircut. Mm, and this yeah, is co-host two. Doctor mm. to be Will Rehaloma. It's me. It's me. He's the other guy. He writes the script and I just respond to it. Folks, if you don't know how the show works, if you've never listened before, welcome aboard. Usually what we do, it's a three-parter. We, we go to the corrections corner. We talk about errors we made on previous episodes that have been pointed out to us. Then we have a little section where Will launches into a narration, a theater of mind, uh, which he highlights a physics property or principle through media. And then in the very end, we answer listener questions if we have them. This week, I've got, uh, I kind of have a correction, I guess. Hmm. I have a coworker who's very upset with me for using the term glass in the description for the aliens episode that we did. I said that, um, what did you Ellen say? Ripley glasses an alien. Oh, sure. And I used that in the in the con in the, you know the same way you'd be like like Halo. Got him. Like murked him, wrecked him. Gotcha. Capped him. Uh, but apparently, glassing someone is an actual definition. What? And it's what you see in all of the like mobster mafia movies where they have a bar fight. Oh, with and like someone a... like breaks a bottle on the on the bar and then tries to shank someone with it. Well, now I wish Ellen Ripley did that to the Xenomorph. Yeah, that would have been way cooler. Way so I guess that's what glassing is apparently. Good to know. That's my whole correction. You got anything? Uh, I don't think so. No, no, no. Okay. Well, then, would you like to take the take the floor? Sure. Be happy to. Okay. By all means. <clears throat> me, 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 me. Me, 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 me. Bruce Wayne is attempting to crack his first case as the masked vigilante known as Batman. He has uncovered a drug smuggling ring, the theft of a prototype military grade microwave emitter, and a psychiatrist, Dr. Jonathan Crane, who has developed a drug that, when inhaled, makes one's worst fears manifest. It becomes clear that these separate cases are all connected, however, when he learns that the drugs were spiked with the fear toxin, and that a large amount has been slowly smuggled into the city for some time now. Upon interrogating Dr. Crane, the full scale of the operation becomes clear. The League of Shadows, a secretive order bent on maintaining order through horrific means, have been working through Crane to separate the toxin from the drugs, and have been dumping it into Gotham City's water supply for weeks. <laughs> Thank you. While inert in liquid form, if the League manages to aerosolize it on a grand scale, the whole city will tear itself apart in manic fear. To this end, Bruce learns that they have placed the prototype microwave emitter aboard one of the monorail trains built by his late father, and have sent it careening toward the central water supply of the city under Wayne Tower. If it reaches the tower, the entire city will be awash with the toxin. The microwave emitter vaporizes the water beneath the train and leaves a scene of chaos in its wake as it works its way through the city, with the fear toxin erupting out of grates and manhole covers and driving the people below mad with fear. Batman boards the train, fights with the leader of the League of Shadows, and manages to both defeat him and blow the train tracks ahead of the train, causing the car to crash into a parking garage, and for the microwave emitter, damaged from the impact, to explode violently. The rest of the city is saved, but this victory is just the beginning of Bruce Wayne's crusade to save Gotham 
from the crime and corruption that festers among its rain-soaked streets. All right, Ian, what do you think we're talking about today? Where's Rachel? Nah, that's the third one. Get out of here. Where's the trigger? Um, microwaves. Okay. Com- that seems pretty good. Pretty confident in that? You don't think it's another red herring? Uh, I, it's probably a red herring, honestly, but I don't think you're going to talk about fear toxins. That wouldn't make any sense. Psychology podcast. So, yeah, that's our other podcast. I feel pretty good about uh, microwave radiation, or maybe we're going to expand that. You're going to generalize and do radiation in general. Mm. We haven't done anything. We've done, have we done light? Uh, I don't remember. We, I think we answered yeah. a question about light. I don't know if we did light. Yeah, I don't know if we've really touched we did on lasers. radiation. We did lasers. We did lasers. Uh, I feel pretty good about microwave emitters. Okay. Okay. I can't get a read on your face because the shadows keep going back and forth on your camera. Sure. The sun came out. Good podcast content. Okay. Always play to the camera. Mm-hmm. What? The, okay. What are we doing? We are not doing microwave what? emitters. It was another red another red herring. Instead, we are doing phase transitions, specifically evaporation. Ooh, ooh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. See, it makes nice. sense with the scene. It makes sense with the scene, but it okay. definitely was a red herring. All right. Yep. So the rest of it seemed also chemistry. Those stamp collectors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. All right. Let's talk about let's talk about matter, Ian. And I want to point out first before I get started, this is going to be a simplified model we're working with. But it covers most of the important bits. And if you want to be, you know, if you want to get uh, critical of it, that's fine. You can ask questions and make me uh, go into more detail. That's fine, too. All right. So, Ian. Yes. Generally, uh, most things, actually all things, are made up of molecules and atoms. Right? These atoms and molecules, we've talked about this a, a bit lately with, like, the pressure and the sound waves, right? These things like to be moving around. They might be vibrating. They might be spinning. They might be just moving around freely, right? And you can kind of think of this, um, we tend to call it kinetic energy or a form of energy, but you can also kind of think of it just as like these things, these molecules, atoms have a bit of a tendency to be bouncy and just bounce off, bounce around, bounce off each other, move around. And the more that these molecules and atoms are moving around and bouncing and spinning and vibrating and all that, um, we say they have a higher temperature, right? So temperature is like the average amount of motion or energy in a given group of molecules. Right. right with me so far yep cool and this is the same thing that you see on a thermometer right that is measuring how much these things are bouncing around on average given you know whatever's inside the tube in a mo- in a in a thermometer so these atoms molecules that are moving around they're generally always interacting with each other and also they generally experience attractive forces between them especially if they're, if they're the same type of molecule so if we imagine a water molecule for example Water molecules tend to have an attractive force that tends to pull them closer together. But they're also bouncing off each other, right? So the faster they're moving, the less likely they're going to be bound together. But if they're moving slow enough, these forces can overcome the quote-unquote bounciness of these atoms. With me so far? Yes. Cool. So that basically means the lower the temperature, the less bouncy these things are, the more likely that the forces are going to be able to keep them together. Okay? Right. Cool. So, in the case where these bonds are especially strong, or if these molecules are especially bouncy, or, or sorry, especially non-bouncy, or have low energy or low temperature, um, they can actually get completely stuck in place, right? They'll, these bonds will completely pull them all together, either in a crystal lattice or just randomly in amorphous solid, but it'll, it'll create what we call a solid, where basically all the atoms are 
or molecules are, are stuck in place. They can't move. They're surrounded by everybody else, and they're all bonded together. And, and even though they're vibrating and moving as much as they can, it's not much because they don't have much energy to vibrate with. With me so far? Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. So that's a solid. Let's say we have a, a bit more energy, so they're able to bounce around a bit more. They're a bit more bouncy. This thing will start to generally um, expand because they're getting they're bouncing out of each other and they're kind of pushing each other apart. And, and they'll get separated enough where they can start moving past each other. They're still bound together. They're still being stuck, stuck, sucked back in by all these other bonds. But they're able to move past each other and, fairly, and move relatively freely among the big clump of atoms and molecules that are there. And that's what we call a liquid, generally. Does that make sense, Ian? Yep. So far, so good. Cool. So, Solid. Can't move good. Mm-hmm. Liquid can move within itself. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there's a third one we haven't gotten to yet. Yeah, as you might guess, the next obvious case is, well, what if they have so much energy that it overcomes the bonds entirely, right? And that's what we've been talking about the last few episodes with gases, right? Like air, uh, either in the Nostromo or air in Marty's, or I guess in the Doc's house, right? That's where you have so much energy that the bonds aren't able to overcome it, and they just bounce right past each other. They bounce off each other, and they don't get pulled back. They just move freely. And that's what we call a gas, where things have enough energy, enough temperature... To just bounce around freely. Cool with that so far? I think so far I'm so good. Cool. So that's the three major states of matter. We're not going to talk about plasmas. We're not going to talk about oh. those Einstein condensates. Oh. Those are the primary ones that you learn about. You probably learned about those in seventh grade or something like that. Right? So all liquid gas, baby. Oh, yeah. So let's talk about how we move from one of those to the other. And those are called phase transitions, which is what we're talking about today. Okay? Okay. So as an example, let's say we have... A bunch of molecules with enough energy where they're currently in gas phase, meaning there's so much, too much energy in the average molecule that they're moving too fast and they bounce off each other. They don't get pulled back together. They don't glom onto each other yet. All right. Mm-hmm. If we manage to reduce their energy, the average energy of these molecules by some means, um, as in make them move slower or vibrate slower or something like that, vibrate less, then when they start colliding, they're not able to bounce off each other fully. They will start glomming together and sort of begin to colliding and clumping together. And generally, when those forces start to overcome their bounciness, um, they'll typically form clumps on surfaces. Um, and we call this thing, where you begin to get start getting liquid building up out of a gas phase, we call that condensation. So that water is condensing, or whatever gas it is, is condensing onto some surface. Because once they hit each other, they stick together, because there's not enough uh, energy in them, they don't bounce off each other. They, they try to, and then they get pulled back together, and they kind of clump up. Does that make sense, Ian? Yeah. Okay. I know condensation. It's on water glasses. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's that's the basic idea of it. And you can imagine this relates pretty easily to from one to the other for all of these three, right? There's six different processes going back and forth between any one to any other one, right? So in the mm-hmm. scene with Batman and Gotham, right, we have a microwave emitter on this train, which Ian so foolishly thought we would talk about just because I said ah, it like four times in the script. I got tricked. Exactly. And as we know from pretty much any kitchen post-1950, microwaves can be used to heat things up, specifically food usually, right, in our microwaves. Yep. And that happens because when you shoot microwave radiation into the water molecules in the food, um, because water molecules are polar, it'll make them vibrate. It's not terribly important in the actual process, but basically it makes them move more, which as we talked about, more movement equals higher temperature and Mm -hmm. on our palate we like to have food that's warm when we put it in the microwave so that's that's why it heats it up it basically makes the water molecules move more so in the water molecules in the sewers and pipes below gotham again with the fear toxin sort of dissolved among those molecules 
they're bumping around, bouncing around. They're freely moved within their own body. They can move past each other. They can move out of the whole mass. Um, but enough energy to keep themselves distanced, they can move around, and that's why we call it a liquid, right? Right. As the train moves overhead, right, all of a sudden microwave beams go blasting down from above. Ooh. Makes these things start vibrating even faster. They start getting more and more mm-hmm. energy. They're bouncing around with more and more force, right? More violently. Their temperature mm-hmm. is increasing, right? More energy. Temperature is increasing. And eventually, they're given enough energy by the radiation where they begin to bounce around and completely separate because they start overcoming those bonds and start flying around. And they begin, guess what? Boiling effectively, right? Begins to evaporate yeah. into gas, gas, water vapor with this toxin around it. It's almost like, you can kind of picture a metaphor, it's almost like a jailbreak, right? Where the water are currently inmates of Arkham Asylum, and eventually they get, you know, some outside influences, microwave radiation that lets them sort of break out of these water pipes and start exploring, and and they blast out. Unfortunately, they bring a bunch of fear toxin with them, so that's not great, but... Not ideal. Not ideal. Not ideal. So that's the basic idea. That's a phase transition, and that's what we're seeing here. Follow the, the basic idea there so far, Ian? Yeah, so you're kind of saying that when we go from liquid to gas, it's like that little... Imagine the little water molecule mm-hmm. is a little astronaut. Mm. And they get into their little rocket ship. And their little rocket ship is heat-powered. Mm. And if we give it enough heat, the rocket ship can blast right out of that water and into the air. And now they're gas. Yeah, yeah, it's like an escape velocity idea, totally. Oh, yeah. Everyone understand. Everyone understood my analogy, I'm sure. Mm, 100%. Yeah. And like I said, it's a simplified model, as we'll probably get to when we talk about where we see it in the world today. There's other things going on that also contribute to evaporation and things like that. But that's mm-hmm. the basic idea. So, Ian, with yeah. that said, the groundwork laid, where do we see phase transitions or changes of state in the world today? I'm going to have to lean away from my mic for this one. Oh, boy. It sound like I'm far away. Spaghetti! Spaghetti. Yeah, when we boil water. Mm. What are we doing? We're heating it up. We're adding energy, and it starts to bubble. It starts to get that water, uh, that steam off the top. What is that if not a phase transition? Sure, totally. From totally. liquid to gas. Yeah. And actually, if you look at the back of your pasta box, and it, uh, or maybe mac and cheese, you get this more often. You get the, um, if you're above a certain altitude. Mm-hmm. Right, change your uh, whatever. Do you do something different? I'm kind of blanking <laughs> out right now. <laughs> sure, it'll it'll boil at a lower temperature, so you need to have more time usually. Right. Yes. Um, because there's there's less force holding that clump of water together. Yeah. Less pressure. And that was one of those up. things that I skipped over in the simplification. Right. I didn't talk Oops. at all about the pressure of the air pushing down and keeping them together, right? I only talked about the intermolecular bonds keeping them together. There are other Oops. things that force them together. No, that's great. I was actually going to talk about the same thing when I went, so good job. Keep going. Take that. I finally got one of yours. Yeah, what, um, what else you got? I always like water because it's different. Mm-hmm. Usually when something goes from a liquid to a solid, mm-hmm. um, it gets a little bit smaller. It contracts because those molecules pull closer together to each other. Yeah. But anyone who has put a completely full Nalgene in the freezer will know ice or water does not do that. If you put an entirely full bottle of water in the freezer, mm-hmm. um, the cold, right, The your water 
inside the bottle, transfers its heat, trying to heat up the freezer. Mm -hmm. It cannot. And so eventually its temperature starts to decrease. Those That energy all gets dissipated because your freezer is pumping that, that warmth back out. Um, and eventually you get ice, but ice expands. Yeah. And it'll break your water bottle. And why does it so expand? Because it is abnormal. Most things, like in my description, right, they're bouncing around less. You'd think they would not push as far apart, right? Why do you, do you, would you care to explain why ice is bigger than water is? Same amount? Same mass? Boy, I sure would, but. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> and look, I'm not a solid state scientist by any means, but I'm pretty sure it has to do with the crystal structure, right? I think because of the, the actual shape of the molecules, when they freeze, when they crystallize, they form crystals, like many, many um, liquids do when they freeze. Um, and it just so happens that the crystal structure there is not very efficient. It takes up a lot of space relative to the size of the molecules because of the, the yeah. way they form and the way they build around each other when they lock together. Um, yeah. yeah. I think it just has to do with like the... And the same thing for why, why snowflakes are shaped hexagonally. Same exact... It has to do with the actual shape of the molecule and all that fun stuff. Oh, sure. Yeah, everyone loves water state transitions. What do you got? Sure. So I have sort of a continuation of your boiling one. Why things dry off. If you have a wet shirt or something like that or a wet towel, you leave it around. And we all know that eventually it will no longer be wet. But why? We're not, it's not boiling. It's not getting up to the temperature where it'll boil off, right? So yeah. what's going on there, right? And that is where we need to start expanding our model, right? Because my model... The simplified model was all about just, well, you know, it gets hot enough, they get enough energy, they can bounce out, right? But that's not happening with evaporation, right? So what's going on there is, to Ian's point, right, air pressure matters, right? There's a thing called vapor pressure, which is the relevant thing here. And the basic idea is, is that it's not just the intermolecular bonds, it's also the reason... You can imagine these water molecules as wanting to fly out, right? Because some water molecules... Like I said, the temperature was the average energy, right? Some molecules have far more energy than that. Some will have far less than that. It's just a probabilistic thing, right? So the molecules that have more energy than that, they might be able to completely break free of the, of the water bonds, right? One thing that might prevent them from being able to do so, though, is if they're about to break free, they pop out for a second, and a big old air molecule just smashes into it from above and Bonk. pops it right back in, right? Like a ball pit, you can imagine, if someone spikes mm -hmm. a volleyball or something, right? Same idea. So if you have air pressure like that, then that'll happen. But the reason things evaporate, the reason water evaporates, the reason things dry out is because of that whole some molecules have enough energy. It's a probabilistic thing. Some of them will have more energy, enough energy to escape freely. And especially if there's not, an, not much air pressure, there's not many molecules hitting down on the surface all the time, then it's more and more likely these things will freely escape and the water will slowly diminish in amount, right? Um... There's another complication we could add into it, though, because as you might notice, high humidity makes things dry slower, right? Yeah, what's the deal with that? I know that. I'm a sweaty dude. I know how this works. Yeah, if you've ever been down near a lake or into the ocean, right, even like if you go to a shack by a lake, everything feels slightly damp all the time, right? It's very humid down by the water, and that means that things don't dry out very quickly. They, they take forever to dry out, if they ever dry out at all. And so there, we need to complicate the model even more because you have to remember that there's water molecules that are leaving the thing, they're evaporating off the thing, 
But if it's humid, that means there's also water molecules in the air that are going down into the water in your towel or something like that, right? And so the actual thing, if you have a lot of hu high humidity, right, you have a lot of water molecules in the air, you're getting water, eventually it'll balance out where the water leaving, evaporating due to this, some of them having enough energy is equal to the amount of water that's just due to the amount of water in the air slamming into the water and rejoining the towel. So you kind of have this weird dynamic equilibrium going on, which is really cool. So drying, so if I don't, mm -hmm, yeah. If I don't want a transient state, do I, should I just pre-wet my shirt if I'm in a humid place? Hmm, it's an interesting question. Well, say more. Well, okay. Let's say I start with a dry shirt in a very humid place, and I'm just sitting there. Mm -hmm. now, I'm not sweating at this point. <laughs> not yet. Water, well, uh, yeah, soon. Water will make its way into my shirt, according to you, mm -hmm. until the water outside in the humid air, humid air is has the same temperature, generally, mm. as the water in the shirt, generally. I'll push back on that one. Yeah, hit me. So it's more so about um, the frequency of... Right, because you basically, you can imagine like a, a square meter of towel. You have a cotton towel that's one meter by one meter. Bad towel design, but okay. Yeah, if you have 20% humidity, maybe you have... I don't know, a few thousand water molecules hitting it every second from above, just from the air, right? You'll also, it'll be at some temperature, maybe the water is room temperature, which means that those water molecules, when they hit, they'll either heat up or cool down or whatever, but some of them, just by virtue of random chance, will then leave, right? They'll evaporate off just like the normal process has been going on. In 80% right. humidity today, you just get more water hitting it. It'll still be evaporating off. It's not so much about the temperature and more so about just like, hmm. you know, like you're right. A higher temperature towel will dry off faster because it's more likely they'll have enough energy to get out. But it's not like they've equalized the temperatures of the air in the towel. Does that make sense? Maybe I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, I mean, well, it didn't answer my question, but it made things more complicated. Yeah. And all this to say, <laughs> all this to say, people say like watching paint dry is boring. But drying is actually a fascinating process right it's very dynamic it's a very interesting <laughs> process if it, it really is some kind of dweeb even you? if it's not the most fun thing to watch <laughs> it is it is if you like most things right this is why i like physics so much anything can be interesting once you actually look at why things work right even paint mm. drying can be really cool if you actually deep dive deep into it and say like why does this actually happen because it's not boiling off right it's not hot enough to boil paint no right and right. yet it dries, yeah. right? Like, what? what's going on there? Yeah. Yeah. What's the deal? Yeah. Anyway, that's like the big one. The other ones I had are like dew forming in the morning, right? Uh, yeah, I was actually going to ask about dew. Yeah, right. So yeah. do the dew, as they say in the ads. As they say. Um, yeah, so that just, you know, there's humidity, there's water in the air. And when it gets cold, right, these molecules are hitting a cold, maybe grass blade, right? Mm -hmm. It yep. takes a bunch of energy out of it. And it's more likely then that those molecules, they move slower now after they hit the blade and they'll start glomming together and they form water droplets, right? Yeah. Um, similar thing with clouds. Um, clouds, right? Water vapor is transparent. You would not see a cloud if it was just water vapor, right? But you know they're made of water. Mm -hmm. They're actually made of water droplets and little ice crystals that form because it's cold high up. So by the time the water gets up there, it leaches all the energy out. They start glomming together. They start forming water droplets that it might eventually freeze because they get even colder and colder. So clouds are another great example of um, phase transitions. Yeah. 
My other one I wrote was just sad ice cream, where ice cream melts. <laughs> but that's a more obvious one. Another cool little detail about phase transitions, hmm. um, at least with water, is it clues us into the direction of time. Mm, what do you mean? Right. If you were to put an ice cube on a table and then take a video of it, mm. if I showed you that video of the ice cube melting and I played it both forwards and I played it in reverse, you could tell me which one was correct. That's true. Which I think is just cool. Yeah. I mean, it seems so obvious, so common sensey to be like, well, obviously the ice cube is going to melt and then it's going to be liquid. It's not going to freeze and grow up and do an ice shape. That's dumb. Yeah, that's right. And yet there's something about it that I think is so cool. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good. I like that. You got anything else on uh, on state transitions? That, that, that's all the real world cases I, I, I thought of. Um, okay. Paint drying and dew and clouds. Sad ice cream. Okay, one one more because I am a hot guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, temperature you are. wise. Temperature wise, <laughs> um, I always love that boiling and evaporation mm. is a cooling process. Sure, which is counterintuitive to a lot of people. They'd be like, oh, "What do you mean? I'm boiling it. It's getting hotter." Mm-hmm. However, you have to remember that what's happening with evaporation and boiling are the hottest molecules are leaving. Exactly. And so when your your body is sweating and putting sweat on your forehead or wherever, mm-hmm. hoping that it absorbs heat and then floats off into the world, gets enough energy to to evaporate. Yeah. It's like when you so walk into actually, a, when you walk out of a room Ian, and the average attractiveness goes uh, goes way down. It's just like that. It's just like that. <laughs> I'm easily in the top ten. The average hotness just of a, drops of a room so of five people. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> That's a, that's, a great, okay. that's a great example, though. Yeah, that's why we sweat, right? That's why we evolved to sweat. Yeah. That's why our bodies do it and why pigs roll around in mud because they can't sweat. The next part of our episode, we take questions from the audience. And, folks, we are dangerously low on questions now. We were scraping the bottom of the barrel before this episode, texting our friends, begging for questions. So, please, true. if you're out there, if you're listening and you have a physics question to ask, tweet at us at Podcast Frames. If you have not a Twitter but an email, you can email us at refer- podcast at gmail.com. We don't have a P.O. box yet for physical question mail. Um, maybe, we should, maybe we should get on that. Maybe that's, maybe that's why we're, not running, there, we're running out of questions. All that the, could be. If we need all those people out there who just want to send us letters. Yeah. Uh, no question is too little and no question is too large, except some of them probably will be. It's true. But we'll always do our best. So we've got a question this week from at... Well, from Fit6, right? Mm-hmm. On Snapchat. On Snapchat, who asks us, why does freezer burn happen? Mm. So, Will, I turn, I turn it over to you to ask, why does freezer burn happen? Excellent, excellent question. And conveniently enough, it has to do with phase transitions, almost solely. So, incredible. imagine Good this. Timing. Imagine this. You have some peas. You put them in the freezer because everyone loves frozen peas. They're great little addition to any yeah. kind of pasta you want to make or any kind of thing you want to make. Just throw them in the pan. They heat up like they split. They're, they're great. Wow, love them. Anyway, you take some peas, you put them <laughs> okay, in the freezer. Okay, move on from the peas. As we, as we know, peas are plants. Peas have water inside of them, right? So in the process of freezing, that water also has to freeze, right? And as we know, when water freezes, as uh, Ian talked about a little earlier, it expands, which is unusual for most things. But water, we know, expands and it freezes, which means when these ice crystals form... It often will um, rupture the skin of the pea or maybe the, the flesh of some meat you put in the freezer, whatever, whatever, however you like to say it. 
And when it does that, right, it, it opens up places, opens up rifts in the food. And that means that, uh, like you said, uh, there's a probabilistic thing. Some of anything is going fast enough to evaporate. Some of anything is going cool, cool enough to maybe turn into a solid briefly, right? In this case, um, what can happen is those ice crystals will begin to sublimate, which I wish the term was they sublime. I think that's really fun. Um, but they sublimate, um, which is just a fancy word for saying it skips the step of turning to liquid and it goes directly from a solid to a gas. You can imagine it's a solid, it's an ice crystal, there's a bunch of water molecules locked in step, but some of them, because of virtue of probability, will have enough energy and they'll just boom, burst, burst free and become a gas particle, gas molecule in, in the freezer. So that's a problem because now your food starts drying out because it, this, this water begins just evaporating sublimating out of it right um and then right. what happens to the rest of the freezer and maybe to your bag of peas is it begins to then condense right like we said if it's an air if it's a water molecule it's something cold like blade of grass in the morning it gloms together and forms water molecules water droplet liquid water right on the surface of the peas or maybe more frustratingly on the door of the freezer which then it freezes again and you begin getting these big clusters of ice crystals all around your freezer and all around your food. And so freezer burns kind of a two prong effect of the food gets dried out, which means even when you put it in the microwave or put it on the stove or whatever, and it begins to, those ice crystals melt and they go away, that's fine. You know, those things aren't really a problem, but you, the food has been dehydrated in the process, which means it loses a lot of the flavor and that's not great. And it also means that your freezer ends up looking like a cave on Hoth, which is also a problem. If I've learned anything, it's that Hoth caves are a problem. It's so true. Wampas, man. Wampas. But yeah, so that's that's freezer burn uh, to the best of my knowledge. I could be missing something, but um, to the best of my knowledge, and that is And if you're a freezer burn, burn expert, please correct Will. Let us know. Let us know. We'd love to know that. Uh, once again, folks, we are so low on questions. <laughs> and so, fan art. And fan art. If you want to do either, please do it and then send it to us. Um, otherwise, we're going to start coming up with some alternatives to our questions at the end of the segment mm. and who knows what that's going to look exactly. like we're going we'll to have to pied. flex our creative brains yeah, we're going to pie ian on camera it's gonna be great we're going to pie me on camera for a podcast will do you have any parting things you want to say to our dear listeners uh only that the weather can finally get nice right it's springtime oh, at least here in maine so and nice. i'm sure in minnesota it's likewise it's it's like our first 60 degrees oh, and sunny day that's nice that's nice so yeah. i would I, my only thing to say would be get outside and enjoy the sunshine while it's there um, if you live anywhere near us, then it is you know it's not terribly often we get nice days. So it's fleeting. It's fleeting, which makes it all the more special, right? Just like you. Oh, yeah. There's only one, only one of you, Ian, and listener, and only one of you, Will. Thanks. Thank goodness. <laughs> the world couldn't handle more than one. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, thanks so much for listening, and we will catch you next time on Reference Race Podcast. Yeehaw! Signing off. That's our new. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <laughs>